So here we are, Adam. We're in um, we're in the turbine hall the tur of the Tate Modern. The turbine hall of the Tate Modern. The it's a gigantic space, isn't it? Absolutely. Giles Gilbert Scott, the architect on the South Bank here, Bankside, the, the ghost of industrial Britain. Did he do the, the, the telephone box? He did. Yes. Uh, that as well as busy the boy. He, he did um, one of Liverpool's two cathedrals. Well, two cathedrals in Liverpool, very good. We've got four in right, London, so as... As always, London is yeah. twice as good as Liverpool. <laughs> but we're not here to have fun, no, we're not, Andrew. We're not, we're not. We're talking about haunted. My favourite time no. of the year. Actually. My favourite time of the Halloween. year. Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> we're doing ghost walks. Yeah, the festival of the dead. When the boundaries of this life become transparent and um, the other life intrudes. Absolutely. There are. What's the value of life without a little bit of mystery? I can't wait because it's also the time of year where I get to say some of my favourite phrases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, buildings are charged with psychic activity. Yeah. Um, I get to say a lot, a lot of things glide, <laughs> float. Uh, it's all highly disconcerting. I say that phrase quite often as well. Quite so. I love it. I'm really, really excited about it. The only thing we miss out on is going um, trick or treating, which yeah. I quite enjoy doing. Yeah. So I may have to do that earlier before I do the walk. Absolutely. Um, it's very exciting, isn't it? I honestly, for a grown man, I'm a ridiculously big fan of Halloween. You love dressing up. There is this as well. That's for another podcast, Andrew. You promise not to mention that. <laughs> what will you be donning? That kind of Dracula-like. I'm going. I'm, I think I'm going to go for the cape this year. Good, certainly, nice, yes, nice, yeah, nice, yeah. Nice. The sort of the the yeah. Well, as you say, the Dracula look. Now that that dates from. Uh, the period when Dracula hits the stage. Ah. Uh, and the cape with the tall collar uh, was used for special effects. So you could stand in the cape over a trap door. Uh, and as you turned your back to the audience, you would let loose the, the strap around your neck and the weight of the, the collar would allow the cape to fall to the floor while you disappeared down the trap door. And it was one of the stage special effects. Oh, so the cape okay. arrives in the Dracula look from the stage. Have you just given something away from the Magic Society? Are you going to be... Yeah, they're going to drum me out of the Magic Circle now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do... I'm definitely... There's going to be some monks yep. um, in, my, in my walks. There's the, there's the famous um, monk at Blackfriars, isn't mm. there? Yeah. Gervais, no relation, I don't think. Is it to the Gervais? To the comedian, Brother Gervais, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 This year, have you had any strange happenings on any of your walks? Because it reminds me of one when I did do the other day about the uh, Brother Gervais at Blackfriars. And someone was absolutely convinced they, they smell incense. Okay. I think okay. it was marijuana, probably, or something. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Colourful characters in our London walks. Absolutely, yes. Well, I've had. Um, we, have we discussed this before? We, uh, we've had fainters on some of our walks. Jack the Ripper. I love uh, the Jack the Ripper, Jack certainly. The Ripper. One on my ghost walk as well. The, um, the idea that they were slightly overcome by perhaps the. Uh, the, the stories, perhaps the scenario, perhaps the location. Just hadn't eaten. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> a, a little, little less romantically. Maybe they hadn't had enough to eat that day. Blood sugar low. Yeah. But whatever the situation, uh, down they went. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So um, yeah, it's uh, not for the faint-hearted. Our ghost Which one was that on? Which one Ghost of the Old City. Ghost, ghost of the Old, of the old City. city. Now, I really enjoy Ghost of the City. It is we throw the kitchen sink at that in terms of execution, torture, cannibalism. Um, live, live burial. But it's something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but we were doing our annual podcast, and I think this is our fourth one. In our, yeah, or I think our, it's our fourth one. They've fourth Halloween. Been really popular, haven't they? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what are we going to discuss this year? I've, I've been watching, as usual, any excuse 
uh, to watch horror movies. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a sucker for a horror movie. Yeah. Great, I'm a big fan, I have to say. So this year I've been looking at uh, two stories with quite strong London connections, The Mummy um, and Frankenstein. Right. I recently watched the, the one directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, which polarises opinion. Uh, it is both very close to the original source material, uh, Mary Shelley's work, and it's also very far away from the popular idea of what Frankenstein should be. So I'm going to look at that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at The Mummy as well. I've yet to see, by the time we record uh, the podcast, I will have seen the, the Tom Cruise version. Well, I remember kind of um, um, walking through the city of London. I think I was doing a... It may well have been a haunted walk, actually, and they were filming on location very close to Leadenhall Market. And the location managers must have just missed our group. There was about 25 of us. We literally walked onto set and uh, bumped into Tom Cruise, who's about... He's about... He's tiny. Andy is making a gesture with his hand to the floor about three feet off the ground here. (laughs) He was in a wind machine. He was in a wind machine and he waved to us. I I mean, I was very excited, I've got to say. Okay, so So you walked into the filming. Yeah, we walked into the filming, yeah. The the location managers must have missed us. They were about to shoot something and... uh, Not Tom Cruise, but a bit of of, um, film. And... um, yeah, so I haven't seen the new Mummy film. Well, but I think that's... Presumably, it's part of it. You know, kept those scenes. a London walk for £10, £8 for students and seniors, oh, and you get Tom Cruise thrown in. <laughs> that's pretty good well, going. many of them from New York, actually. It just happened that a lot of that group from New York and some of them from Los Angeles, they weren't particularly excited at all. Oh. I was really excited. Sure, yeah. I said, I said, oh, he's really small. And they went, yeah, 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 he's a tiny little thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't seen it. He's uh, twice as tall as Mel Gibson. <laughs> I mean, that's a change of direction for him as well, isn't it? To be I think so. In a completely different franchise. Now, the reviews here uh, for the, the new Mummy, I'm, I'm fully appraised of the reviews. Uh, Universal Studios are reviving all their old monster classics, The Mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula, and they're going to call it The Dark Universe. Okay, okay. Now, this is the opening salvo, and the reviews have been universally terrible. Right. Now, I'm withholding my opinion. I haven't seen it yet, but in yeah. terms of reviews for horror movies, the reviews are suggesting that you know, the movie is a little bit ridiculous. I, 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 you know, I don't think that's much of a criticism for a horror movie. <laughs> if it wasn't a little bit ridiculous, be, I'd be disappointed, you know? There's something about the ones which were made years ago that which makes it more, I don't know, I, you, you have to use your imagination maybe a little bit more, but there's something about that dark seam of it which makes it a bit more interesting. And so in a few minutes' time, I'm going to be discussing three different versions of The Mummy. But in the meantime... Here's Andy with his take on the 1970s horror classic, The Exorcist. So yeah, I'm standing here, um, just about to do my Ghost of the Old City walk. That's the bells. The bells are St. Mary Lebeau. It's uh, six o'clock in the city of London, 2,000 years of history. I'm looking towards St. Mary Lebeau and I'm looking towards a lantern, a lit lantern just over the front entrance. It's quite spooky. It's quite cold this evening. It's a supernatural chill in the air. And I'm here to talk about The Exorcist. 
between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. The film which came out in 1973. The inspiration for William P. Batty's classic horror novel, The Exorcist, published in 1971, was said to be inspired by an alleged exorcism in the US of a young boy whose name was Roland Doe, and it was performed by, apparently, by several Jesuit priests in 1949. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. In all probability, well, let's hope so anyway, the boy, with some understatement, was said to be just acting out. However, it must have been taken pretty seriously, as it was allegedly only one of three exorcisms actually sanctioned by the Catholic Church. The book was adapted into the film of the same name in 1973, directed with great verve by William Friedkin and produced by William P. Batty himself. It starred Max von Sydow, Ellen Burstyn, Linda Blair and Jason Miller. Often described as the scariest movie of all time, it is still today one of the highest grossing films of all time and one of the few horror films to be nominated for Academy Awards. Ten. It has earned a significant place in popular culture and for horror fans a defining moment in the genre. Convulsions, obscenities, head rotating, green puking, bathing, bloody murderous intent of the demon possessing the 12-year-old girl, Regan, and her mother's attempt to cast them out are truly terrifying. There are no experts. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing that scares isn't my daughter. Critic wrote, I'm not sure exactly what reasons people will have for seeing this movie. Surely enjoyment won't be won, because what we get here aren't the delicious chills of a Vincent Price thriller, but raw and painful experience. Are people so numb they need movies of this intensity in order to feel anything at all? An observation picked up by another critic who wrote, If you want to be shaken, and I found out while the picture was going, that that's what I wanted, then The Exorcist will scare the S star star T out of you. Do we want, then, to be shaken out of our comfortable senses? Well, maybe it's just the thrill, the shock, like a roller coaster ride. That hijacking of the senses is as good as explanation as any. Potential danger triggers the fight or flight response. That's the emotional part of our nervous system. And then the rational side of our brain, the the, the frontal lobe, kicks in and tells us it's okay, you're safe, it isn't real. You are in a comfortable chair in a cinema. In other words, we get the visceral side without the actual danger. We get the endorphins, the pleasure. We still get the drug, but in a safe environment. However, with a film so disturbing, and you wonder what the filmmakers were, were thinking, is there something else going on? Something a bit longer-lasting, more profound, because I'm talking lifelong nightmares here. Mark Commode, who incidentally thinks The Exorcist is one of the greatest movies ever made, picks up on this. It reflects the anxieties of the audience. 
perhaps that's the key, it unlocks our greatest primal fear of the other. Like voyeurs looking over the abyss, asking us, and for me it's the religious aspect that truly terrifies, especially if you're a bit of a searcher, and that's most of us. Do we believe? And if we do, what does that mean? Commode goes on to say, It was written by a devout Catholic who hoped it would make people think positively about the existence of God. William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book, thought that if there are demons, then are also angels and life after death. So it's meant to be comforting, right? Apparently Blatty didn't find it scary at all. I think I'll take comfort in the idea it's just all great fun. Back to the roller coaster ride. Remember the spider walk down the stairs? Oh my god. Funny, great fun. Scientists say the endorphins don't work for everybody. They can be longer lasting effects. Those nightmares. Yep, yeah, I don't remember laughing in this movie, just the nightmares. If it's a roller coaster ride, it's the one that finally made me vomit. Bring back Vincent Price. I'll watch that. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, don't. It's horrible. Now, if that isn't a recommendation, I don't know what is. The one hope. The only hope. The Exorcist. It's that time of year again. I'm staying up late. And tonight, I'm going to party like it's 1999 BC. Egyptologists, I hope you'll cut me some slack there for stomping inaccurately all over the Middle Kingdom. What I'm doing is I'm watching The Mummy. I'm watching three versions of The Mummy. I'm binging. I'm box-setting for Halloween. The hieroglyph said she was named Amunet, chosen to be Egypt's next queen. But her thirst for power led her down a darker path, one that had to be stopped. Because of your actions, this ancient power has returned. The Mummy, 2017. Directed by Alex Kurtzman. This is a troubled mummy. A mummy with daddy issues, if you will, because this instalment is to be the father of a bold and sweeping saga of films to be known as the Dark Universe. The idea, and it's one of which I greatly approve, it's ambitious and exciting, is to go back to the very beginning and start all over again. In this context, that means remaking all the great horror and monster movies originated by the famous Universal Studios in the 1930s. As I said, a bold and sweeping idea. The problem for The Mummy, rather than the problem with The Mummy, the problem for The Mummy is that it's called upon to bear the weight of a ton of exposition, setting up the concept, setting up the franchise. It's hamstrung by a bunch of movies that haven't yet been made. I thought it was worth the effort to forgive the exposition because, as regular listeners and walkers will know, I'm a sucker for an old-school horror monster movie. 
Was it worth the effort? Well, it's more fun than having your brain pulled out through your nose with a rook, certainly. But it is a mummy that will make you curse at its unnecessarily Byzantine plot twists. The plot of The Mummy should always be very simple. It's a story about two things. Revenge and greed. And as such, it appeals to our baser nature. It's a nasty story. It says, no matter how long it takes, no matter how many tons of sand you bury me beneath, no matter if you pull out all my organs and put them in a jar and shut me in a big gold suitcase, I will get my own back. It's very unsavoury subject matter. And I think that's why it's often sugared with a love story. The mummy is often portrayed as being motivated uh, by the love and loss of his long-dead bride. So it's about revenge. But it's also about greed. It's about greed and the Old Testament punishment of greed. And that, I think, is why the mummy is the most morally complicated of the big three monsters. Sure, in, in Dracula we are called upon to contend with the glamour of evil, a certain, how you say, complexity to the way we often relate to the vampire. And in Frankenstein, when Frankenstein has done well, we are called upon to empathise with the creature's plight. But in The Mummy, greedy thieves are being punished by an undead psycho bent on revenge for revenge's sake. Where are the goodies in that? Where's John Wayne? Where's that nice Tom Hanks when you need him? The Mummy is very different from Dracula and Frankenstein. Drac and Frank are the baddies. In The Mummy, everyone's a baddie. That's why it's so delicious. The Mummy, in this version, an ancient Egyptian princess who killed her pharaoh father when he unexpectedly fathered a son to outrank her in the succession to the throne, is played by Sophia Butella. Is she scary? Yes, she is. The usual physical strength of the mummy is here replaced with curses and witchcraft-like mind control, spells all vividly done. Genuinely, very creepy. Tom Cruise, as the central character of the hero, Nick, the soldier-cum-pirate who would steal the mummy's treasure, is really very good. He turns the charm up to eleven to distract us from the fact that he sells his own mother's eyes for a fast buck. Jake Johnson, as his sidekick, is openly cynical and selfish and screwball comedy sparks fly between the pair. It's excellently well done. A great on-screen relationship. Russell Crowe is excellent as Henry Jekyll. <coughs> Aye, there's the rub. What's Henry Jekyll and indeed Mr Hyde doing in The Mummy? Well, back to the beginning and all that stuff about the weight of the franchise, the exposition and the setting up of future movies. Crow was, and will be, a great Jekyll and Hyde, but his character's presence here is emblematic of what's ultimately wrong with this version. It's too long, and it's too complicated. The reviews for the 2017 version of The Mummy were universally negative, 
and I wondered, could it really be all that bad? To get a professional opinion, I approached the actor, uh, lecturer in film studies and podcaster, Ian Greve, who presents the excellent movie podcast, The Rap Chat, for his opinion on the movie. His reply, his response via email, uh, was reassuring in that he feels that some of the negative reaction has been a little bit over the top. And I was pleased to hear, uh, I, I don't cry, baby, it's only a movie uh, sentiment in his appraisal. Here's what he wrote. I enjoyed it in spite of the PR push. There was enough in it to enjoy. I like what they are trying to do with the Dark Universe thing, creating something that unifies all the monster movies. I agree with the thinking that Tom Cruise was bad casting. I like him in other stuff, but his star presence does steer the film off course in terms of tone, and it would have benefited through casting an unknown, as with the first Kingsman or Evil Dead, etc., so that the story and sense of discovery and jeopardy are the driving forces and not the star vehicle feel. I like the use of London, as I did with some bits in Doctor Strange, and I thought the sense of adventure balanced very well with the universal-type horror. Even though this film was a bit off-target, I hope they keep going. I mean, it took DC till Wonder Woman to get it right. That's the fourth film in that particular franchise, so I think we can cut Universal a bit of slack. Thank you, Ian, for your response there. If you'd like to hear more of Ian's excellent movie reviews, you can listen to him with his podcasting colleague Gregor over at The Rap Chat. Uh, opinionated, well-informed and highly irreverent uh, commentary on new movies. Um, listen to that over at therapchat.podbean.com. Uh, that's rap as in W-R-A-P as in it's a rap. On a dig down in Thebes. <gasps> Jonathan? I think you found something. There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of the Dead. They call it the doorway to hell. Where the earliest pharaohs were said to have hidden the wealth of Egypt. Are we going into battle? There's something out there. The Mummy, 1999, directed by Stephen Summers. Much more of the Bish Bash Bosh school of storytelling is The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Made in 1999 and co-starring British actors Rachel Weisz and John Hanna, The Mummy features three of my very favourite stock characters, the swashbuckler, the specky nerd and the morally dubious posh Englishman. Brendan Fraser is incredibly personable as Rick O'Connell. Fraser makes the character's necessary self-centeredness seem more opportunistic than calculated, and it's a neat trick. We are on his side from the get-go, a good old-fashioned swashbuckling hero. Rachel Weiss, as the historian, the aforementioned specky nerd, is absolutely terrific, extracting a lot of comedy out of her incongruous presence at the heart of an action-adventure romp. John Hanna plays the South Toff as a moral grey area to the tips of his sticky fingers. The character a pleasantly sordid presence. So, yes, it's a romp. 
But that only serves to heighten the scary bits. The swarm of scarab beetles is particularly itchy and haunting. Great special effects and a vivid sound design. If the proverbial alien from Mars were to ask me about the mummy, this is where I'd send him, to this movie version. All the elements of the story are here, with great big dollops of daft comedy, a little bit of kissing but not too much, thankfully, and plenty of rip-roaring action adventure. Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies. They sought to unlock its treasure. And then there was my face. London fairly teems with relics from our 19th and early 20th century fascination for all things ancient Egypt. There's Cleopatra's Needle on the bank of the River Thames, said to be cursed, of course. The sarcophagi at the British Museum. Best of all, the fascinating collection at the Petrie Museum of Egyptology, part of UCL in Bloomsbury. Way down south, on Forest Hill Road, there's a plaque to the mummy himself. William Henry Pratt was born in Camberwell on the 23rd of November, 1887. He went on to portray most of the famous big-screen monsters under his stage name of Boris Karloff. Death. Eternal punishment. For anyone who opens this casket. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. <coughs> There's nothing on earth like the mummy. Karloff's version of the mummy appeared on screen in 1932. The trailer informed us that it was stranger than Dracula and more fantastic than Frankenstein. The two other movies with which we've been dealing, the 2017 and the 1999 versions, both team with CGI and special effects. This one has neither. This one has Jack Pierce. Jack Pierce was the makeup guy at Universal Studios from the silent era right up to the post-war period. This means that if you picture one of the great movie monsters in your mind's eye, then Jack Pierce was the man who painted the picture. Pierce based his mummy makeup on Ramesses III, and Karloff was in Pierce's chair for many hours a day, having said makeup applied. It was certainly worth the effort. Like most things about Hollywood in those days, the makeup is both fantastical, theatrical, and realistic. Karloff's cadaverous good looks help, of course. The big boned Lon Cheney Jr. would not have been such a good canvas. The blackened, sunken eyes create the appearance of a skull. But the realism that is Piercy's starting point shines through. From researching Ramesses III as his leaping off point, 
to the wrinkles, the depth and proliferation of which naturally come about from a character quite so old and quite so dehydrated. It's a lovely starting point, as I said, both highly theatrical and deeply realistic at the same time. The word genius is overused in the context of Hollywood, but Jack Pierce, an unsung hero of the golden age of horror movies, Universal Studios' makeup man. Karloff's performance in The Mummy is still and sinister. He brings shards of pathos to the character, but those shards have been somehow mixed up through the centuries, and rather than eliciting our sympathy, they simply add to the overall monstrous effect. It's a most memorable performance, and I think nearly his very best, but it will always remain, for my money, a close second to his finest hour as Frankenstein's monster. We'll be dealing with Frankenstein and his monster in the next episode of the London Walks podcast. Feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. <laughs> There's nothing on earth like the mummy. <laughs>